You're listening to the James Faith in Jesus Work Series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. In James chapter 4 again tonight, and I want to begin tonight in a surprising fashion. I want to encourage you. <laughs> surprising, because I don't know if I do that very well. But my encouragement is, as I was studying this week, I believe the text that we're going to be in tonight is important and it's relevant for us. But as I thought about our church, our family here, in light of the text tonight, I thought, you know what? I think this is an area where our church, in general, tries to do a pretty good job. I really think that there are a lot of places you could go to that would um, struggle a great deal in this area. And I thought that, that this text will be helpful for us. It'll be a, a nice little course correct. It will be a great reminder. It's something that we need to hear. But it's not, it's not one of those like, man, we are going absolutely 100% in the wrong direction. Let's do a 180 and go the other way. I think that this is something that we're trying to do and we can try and do better. And so my encouragement is, way to go. I'm glad we, we are a part of a church family that is, that is unified, that I think truly is concerned about one another and concerned about one another's growth, and not so much concerned about who's the best, and, and who is the, the most moral, and the most upright, and the most awesome, that we're not always tearing one another down. So you'll see what I mean tonight as we go through. Um, here's the plan for tonight. I want to spend a few moments in our text, and then take the bulk of our time answering the questions that arise from the text, and we'll probably be going to a few other places in the New Testament to do that. And so that is what we're going to be doing. We're looking at uh, the, t- the subject, the judgment of God and man. We've been working our way through the book of James, and then we spent the last three Sundays in the first ten verses of James chapter 4. We've seen in great detail the sinfulness of man, the nature of man. Then we've, saw, we've seen in verses 5 and 6 the grace of God. How amazing it is that God has such incredible grace available for those who are so sinful. Then we've seen the steps to repentance and godly living. James helps us to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ, and that it doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means that you should be on an ongoing basis submitting to God, resisting the devil, drawing nigh to God, watching and seeing and sensing how God then draws nigh to you. But that means we need to be cleaning up our hands, cleaning up our behavior, and purifying our hearts. We've seen James give us all this great instruction. And then last week, we looked at these verses that that are important for us, but not verses that you put on, you know, a bumper sticker or, or a coffee cup. We saw in verses 8, the second half of verse 8, all the way to verse 10, he says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And I remind you of that not because, not because I'm, I'm standing up here and I'm like, man, I, only two verses tonight, I want to fill some time and I want to get the, you know, the reminder. And I, I remind you of it because it's important as we go into verses 11 and 12 to know the context, to know where he's coming from and, and what he's just been speaking about. Um, it is vitally important that if we're going to read any portion of Scripture, you know why it's there. What's, I mean, what's the immediate context? What's the greater context of those verses? And so remember that he's just been speaking about our need to recognize our sin and be sorrowful over it. To be humble about it. Not to lift ourselves up and think ourselves so great and and like we're super Christians, 
but to be honest about the fact that we still struggle, we still sin, we still have a heart that is wants, it's bent away from God. And, and praise the Lord, he's given us his spirit that's, that's warring against it inside of us, that's pulling us toward God's service and his love and what he wants for us. But, but we know that our flesh still remains. And so remember that he's calling us to be humble in the sight of God and then watch God lift you up. Now we'll look at James chapter 4, verse 11. He says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now notice first that James has determined that the terms adulterers, sinners, and double-minded would not be the term he used to call them for the rest of the letter. I think it's probably a good thing. He's already called it. He's dealt with that part. But here he goes back to brothers. But I think it's also interesting to note that you can call someone who is double-minded and a sinner and uh, an adulterer, at times, still a brother. I think it's important that we, we realize that, that, that we're still in this battle. We're still in this struggle. There are both double-minded, sinful adulterers and brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, speaking evil of one another, what he means by that is speaking against one another or speaking something that is designed to hurt or bring harm to another person. Speaking with the desire to color that person in a negative light. That guy is so shady. Well, why do you say something like that to somebody else? Well, your goal is to make that person that you're referring to a little lower in that person's eyes, to color the way they look at them. That girl is such a flirt. Well, why would you do that? Well, probably not because you're concerned about the heart of that girl and you really think that by telling your friend or whoever it is that that, that's going to be some great way to reach that person. It's probably because you want that other person to, to share your feelings, your negative feelings about the girl. Now, it's important to recognize that what you say may or may not be true. And I think sometimes we get this wrong because we assume that any time the Bible talks about gossip or slander, that we're saying something that's not true. And so we all recognize it's a bad idea to make up a story about someone and then tell it and share it. And we all, I think, know that it's a bad idea to like take the, the word of the town gossip who makes up stories all the time and then share those things. We, we all see that's bad. But sometimes, I think we feel like we're justified in sharing the information if we are pretty sure, or maybe completely sure, that the information is true. It's still gossip. It's still slander. It doesn't make it right to talk evil about someone behind their back just because that evil is true. And so we must understand that he is saying here, Don't speak against people. He's not saying don't make up stories about people. He's saying don't say something, whether it's true or false, to harm that person because what it does is it sets you up as their judge. This is what's interesting. When you speak evil against your brother, he says you speak evil against the law. Now, I'm sure that we've read this a number of times, and I wonder how many times we've stopped and thought, what do you mean, James? How, how is it possible when I'm saying something bad about my brother, all of a sudden I'm saying something bad about the Bible? But that doesn't seem to, to make sense. Well, why? Well, he explains it's because it sets you up as a judge over the law. 
When you speak against your brother, you place yourself in a superior position to your brother. That guy is shady. As soon as you say that, you're up here, you're judging the person down here who's shady. Or that girl's a flirt. You're not, you're better, they're worse. You've just become their judge. Generally, we do this to belittle them and to show our superiority, right? That's why we speak evil of other people. Yet, both you and the person you're talking about are in desperate need of mercy. Neither one of you are pure, righteous, holy, on your own merit. So no person can really stand up in front of another person and say, I am better than you because of me. I am more righteous than you because I have determined to have a superior moral standing and I just act right all the time. Nobody can do that. So if we are putting ourselves just like this person, I'm better, you're worse, and that's, that's the end of it, that's the purpose of it, then we've just become a judge of that person and we've become a judge of the law. When you are a judge over the law, you cease to be a doer of the law. See, the, the law, the Bible, it compels us as believers who have been shown mercy to also show mercy, to show grace, to show compassion and forgiveness. And as soon as we, we don't do that, we've actually ceased to be a doer of the law. We've stopped doing what we say we want to do. And it's so funny because we are so good at justifying ourselves. Like it's your job in the world to point out everybody else's sin. And somehow in pointing out their sin, you've done God a service. And what God is saying here, what God is saying through James here, is that when we do these things, just for the sake of bringing that person down and lifting ourselves up, then we're actually going against the law and we, like, we're, we're sinning in, in that action. Does that make sense? So, so you're trying to, you think you're doing something good and you're actually, you're actually ruining everything. <laughs> you're ruining that, that idea. Like, you're not doing anything good. You're actually doing evil when you're doing that. Because of the ignorance of our own many sins, we are completely incompetent be a judge. You need to remember that. Now, some of you are saying, oh wait, the Bible says we should judge. And I'm getting there. Okay, We will get there eventually. But let's really lean into what James is saying here. It's a bad idea for you to just bring people down and and tear them down and tear down their character and and talk about their sin behind their back if, if the purpose of that is simply to point out their sin, make somebody else think poorly of them, and lift yourself up. Okay, I think Most of the time that we talk about other people's sin, it's probably in this way, unfortunately. Because there is a time to talk about other people's sin. But it's not this time. It's not with someone else. It's not with the purpose of bringing them down and lifting you up. Verse number 12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? And this verse is a great reminder for us. If you ever feel compelled to be a vigilante for Jesus, don't. He doesn't need you to be his judge. He doesn't need you to step in and judge somebody else because, you know, he's just tired or, or in, unable to that day. Right? He says, there is a lawgiver. He gave us that law and he's able to save and destroy by it. He's not weak. He's not, 
it's not like someday um, he's going to let one slip and you just have to catch that person and make sure they're brought down to where they belong. No, every single person that ever walks the planet will be brought where they need to be brought. They'll be put in the place that they're supposed to be in. They'll be judged according to their thoughts and their sins and and their deeds. And so you don't need to worry about it. You might say, well, this person, they're just getting away with it. Some people need to think poorly of them. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe we can just leave it to God and know that God will take care of it, because he will. Um, We have this incredible example in Jesus. And if you turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, you don't need to turn there, but I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Here is Jesus who has never, ever sinned. It says, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Right? He's never said a bad thing about another person. Verse 23, who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously. Here's what Jesus did when he was being put through those trials, when he was being mocked and scorned and beaten, when the Roman soldiers were creating the crown of thorns, putting it on his head and, and the purple and around him, hitting him and spitting on him. This is what Jesus was doing. He wasn't saying anything. He wasn't defending himself. He wasn't telling them they were wrong. He wasn't telling them that they were ugly, they were sinners or whatever. He wasn't doing any of the things that we would naturally do. Instead, he committed himself to the one that judges righteously, meaning he knew that God's plan was best. He knew that God would make everything wrong right, and every, every, sorry, yeah, every wrong would be righted, right? And so these people would, they would stand before God with what they'd done, and, and that was enough. He didn't feel the need to be the judge in that instance. And that's a great example for us. Can I remind you that God is a God who will judge every idle word that men speak? So when you feel the need to bring someone down because they're bad and people need to see them that way, remember that God will judge judge every single idle word that that person has said, let alone the really bad stuff, and every idle word that you've said. That he is a God whose word is able to pierce through to the thoughts and the intents of the heart. There's nothing that's escaping him. I can say with certainty, when it comes to judgment, he doesn't need my help or yours. So as I studied this text, I found that there were questions that arose in my mind, and I started jotting them down. And it helped me through my study of the text. And so I thought maybe we'd take these questions and go through them with you together in hopes that they will help you wrap your mind around the verses a little bit better. The first question that arose in my mind was, James, why are you revisiting the subject of the tongue here again? You think about it, he's already spoke with the tongue in chapter 1, mentioned in chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, he spends like most of the chapter on it. In fact, in chapter 3, you have a, a greater passage about the tongue than is found anywhere else in the Bible. So why in chapter 4, after this great explanation of human depravity and our need for grace and then how to walk with God, does he all of a sudden come back to talking about the tongue again? How you're talking about your brother? It seems like he's covered that already. So what is he doing? Well, I believe that chapter 3 provides for us great detail about the destructive power of the tongue and our inability to control it. I think what he does here is actually kind of smart. 
Because he's turning our attention to ourselves first. Remember, you're a sinner, you're depraved, you're wicked, and because of your sin, you go out and do these awful, evil things. You need grace, so submit, resist, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, um, weep, mourn, I mean, recognize your need, and then humble yourself. And now that you're there, let's revisit the idea of how you talk about other people. This is such a great way of making that, it's destructive, it's awful, you can't control it. And we go, yeah, James, you're right, I I really struggle with my tongue. And then here he says, here's an area that we can work on. Now that you're humble and in the right mindset to, to think about how you talk about other people, let's revisit the tongue. That's kind of smart. He's circling back to the subject. The problem is, people were speaking against one another. They were slandering one another. And I think slander doesn't seem so bad when we think highly of ourselves. It's not a big deal to talk evil of someone else who is evil when you're not. But when you've got to the point where you've, you've humbled yourself, slander begins to look a little bit more foolish. Why am I pointing out all their sins when I know I have all my sins? Why not just deal with what's going on in my own heart, in my own life, and the things that I say and the things that I do? That makes a lot more sense to you when you're humble. So James takes chapter 3, the importance of controlling your tongue, and he applies it to our hearts when hopefully we are ready to listen. Second question I wrote down was, is James forbidding judgment entirely? Is he saying it's never okay to talk about someone else's sin or to notice their sin or to make a judgment call about their actions? What is the Holy Spirit trying to teach us through James about judgment? And there's a great deal in the Bible written about the subject of judging other people. What is the verse that everyone is acquainted with when it comes to judgment? Matthew 7.1. What does it say? Judge not, lest you be judged. So when I was growing up, hip-hop and rap music was really cool. And I was really cool, so I was into Tupac. And then Tupac got shot by Biggie. You guys remember this? There was a lot of drama in the rap community. But Tupac was famous for a tattoo that said... Only God can judge me. And I remember as a teenager thinking, I mean, a rebellious teenager, thinking, yeah, that's right. Only God can judge me. Like, nobody else has the right to ever point out anything that's wrong in my life because it's only God that can judge me. Uh, That really seems to be the mantra of our society. I can do whatever I want, and I can expect that you will respect, accept, Um, even celebrate what I've decided that I am or that I can do. I think we expect uh, universal encouragement in our sin. Uh, And that's pretty scary. The idea that, well, you don't have a right to judge me. Now listen, Christian people have been guilty of improper judgment in the past. Not even in the past. It's still happening. But just because we've done it wrong doesn't mean it has to cease entirely, or that it should cease entirely. I think there's a right way and a wrong way to judge. And and so when Matthew 7, verse 1 says, judge not that you be not judged, it's important that we actually continue to make a distinction. Okay, what is he talking about? What does the context say? There's a difference between using God's word to determine the morality of of an action and placing ourselves as morally superior beings capable of, of making moral judgments on others. So do you get that? There's a difference between us being able to say, the Bible says this is wrong, therefore it's wrong. There's a big difference between us doing that and us being like, 
I'm a Christian, and I'm way better than everybody else, and so I'm going to determine what's right and wrong for everybody else, and I'm going to sit in judgment upon them. There's a huge difference between those two things, and it's really important how we come across. There is a difference between recognizing a problem with sin and believing that we are not a part of the problem. There is a difference between ultimate judgment, which belongs to God, and using biblical guidelines to discern the moral uprightness of the behavior of someone toward another. So, let's get back to Matthew. It says, judge not, lest you be judged. Verse 15 says, Jesus still speaking, same, same context, same speech. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. How will I ever know them by their fruits if I don't judge them? And if I can't judge their fruits, how will I know if they're false prophets? How will I know if the sheep's clothing is just a cover for what's inside, what's underneath the ravening wolves? How is it possible? It's not possible, right? In fact, what he's saying is we need to be able to look at people's fruits to make discernments. Now, we are not putting ourselves as the final judge that will judge their heart and send them to hell. That's not our place. All of that's reserved for God. But the expectation here from Jesus is that we'll be able to look at people's fruits and make judgment calls. And when he says beware, there's there's a purpose for it, right? It's not just like, Make sure you're looking at everybody else and pointing at all their sin because it's it's kind of a fun hobby. It's like, beware. Because these ravening wolves that are in sheep's clothing can do a lot of damage to other believers. They can really hurt the cause of Christ. They can really tear apart a church. So there is a time that you need to beware and you need to be looking at fruits and you need to to bring those things up when, when it's appropriate. Is James forbidding judgment entirely? I don't think so. I think he's forbidding brothers from criticizing and slandering one another without good cause. So question three, if I were to obey James, what would it look like? The most important question of them all is, how do I make the Bible practical? How do I take God's word and actually try and live it out? Because if all we're doing is putting knowledge in our heads, then we've missed it. Missed the purpose of it. James is not writing to to make us smarter. He's writing to make us more godly. So if we were to obey, what it would look like? Well, first, I think it means we would use discernment in our judgment. Don't verbalize judgment on another's sins without legitimate cause. Don't gossip or say something negative about another person just because you want to, just because you can. See, I think this is where we we do that whole misunderstanding thing. If we're passing on true information, then it's okay. That's not okay. It's not okay to bring someone down even if that thing is true. We need to understand that there must be a legitimate cause to, to talk about the sin, even if there is sin present. And so one way, I think, to determine whether it's worthwhile talking about the sin is asking the question, what is my goal in sharing this information? What is my goal in speaking about this person with someone else? And the vast majority of the time, you won't say, I'm just trying to speak the truth in love. And speaking of speak the truth in love, we often think about that as something that we use to encourage evangelism, right? That, that, that we should go out into the world, that we should speak the truth in love, meaning we should love people 
and give them the gospel. I think we should absolutely love people and give them the gospel. But those verses are given in the context of warning people about um, false believers within the church. And so speaking the truth in love there is actually, you need to be able to tell the truth about other people, even within the church, without the church, that are, that are trying to destroy people in the church. There needs to be some kind of discernment of the sin, and there needs to be some kind of speaking of that truth in love. That is a legitimate time to speak about another's sins, and so we must use discernment. I think one of the biggest problems we have is that when we think about other people's sins and when we we talk about them, we talk about them to all the wrong people at all the wrong times, and we don't talk about them to the right people at the right times. We miss it. If a brother offends you, what are you supposed to do? Go to them. What do we do? Go to someone else. Every single time, almost. Almost every time. Because that's what's comfortable, right? You can go to someone else, and there's no confrontation, and there's no struggle, and there's no um, them pushing back. Um, there's no uh, risk of an argument or a fight immediately. And, and you don't get the, the great feeling inside of knowing someone else is on your team. Right? You actually have to deal with the problem in a way that could be incredibly helpful and is biblical, but it's still you having to go deal with the problem. Whereas you go to somebody else and you just get like a pat on the back and yeah, they're terrible, we hate them too. Woohoo for team you. And that's not helpful, but it's fun. Uh, we must um, ensure that we're not just speaking about other sins at all the wrong times. In Acts chapter 20, Paul speaks to the elders of the church of Ephesus. And he warned them that there are wolves from without, within the church, that are dressed as sheep's clothing. There are wolves from without of the church that are coming in to destroy the people in the church. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 31, he says, Therefore, watch and remember but that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So what he's saying is, this is what I did. I was warning. I was warning about false teachers. I was warning about people that are going to come in and deceive you. And now your job is to watch. And so, if we're not doing our jobs, if we're thinking that we should never speak evil of another person, then we, we've missed the calling that elders have specifically here to protect the flock. It's, it's essential. But it has, to be, it has to be done the right way. And that is speaking the truth in love. So use discernment. The second thing I see is we must be biblical. Judgment should be based on clear biblical principles and it should be centered around actions rather than presumed intentions. We can't just look at someone and hear something they say and assume we know what's going on in their heart and then bring that up for judgment. The best thing we could do in that situation is go to that person and talk to them and say, hey, listen, I, I, I saw this, not sure what it means, not sure what I, if I'm, what I'm getting is right, but I, I want to talk to you about it. But often what we do is we make our judgment calls based on what we assume their intentions are in what they have said and done. Do you know what's really funny? If you watch some arguments that, especially married people have, I think, a lot of times what happens is the husband or the wife was trying to do something that they thought might be a good thing for their spouse. And it was, maybe didn't work out. Maybe I'm just sharing, like, my experience. <laughs> it, say for some reason or another, it, it didn't work out. 
And because it didn't work out, the one party is upset. But if we were to actually roll this whole thing back and, and say, okay, husband, why do you do this thing? Why did you do that thing that, that at this moment seems so foolish? You might say, I don't know. I thought she would want me to. I thought she would like it. I, I, I had a good reason. I thought it would be good for us somehow. Now, yes, okay. Like, there's sh- the action that was foolish should still be dealt with. There should be a lesson still learned. But sometimes we are so quick to assume negative intention. And maybe if we would give ourselves the benefit, one another the benefit of the doubt sometimes, we'd be better off. Like, come to the situation, come to the person with a more open mind. Not just like, I hate you because you did this. More like, can you help me understand why you thought this was a good idea? Be biblical and stick to actions. We get in trouble when we start to assume we know the thoughts and the intents of the heart of the other person. Uh, Kurt Richardson, the theologian, he said this, judging makes a presumptive statement about the destiny of the persons or their works as a whole that really only God can make. Judging is an act that only the all-seeing, all-knowing God can perform. Only God who knows the secrets of the heart can judge that heart. Let's remember that. Be biblical. Number three, let's be humble. Be humble. The whole context is, is the importance of humility. Any judgment that is rendered ought to be done so humbly, recognizing that you are a sinner in just as much need of God's grace as that person. We do not stand with the authority to judge. We are a peasant in hopes of helping other peasants. And so we speak the truth in love, and we speak it humbly. If you come to a person, and they sense that that you believe yourself to be better than them because of their sin, they will never listen to you. Like, 100% of the time, they won't want to know what you have to say. But if we can figure out how to come to people and, and have them recognize, have them see in ourselves that we're still broken over our own sin, over our own heart, and that we're doing this only because we love them and we, and we hate sin and we love God and for all the right reasons, there's a chance. So we need to come to them humbly. Number four, we need to be gracious. Because we're all, sinner, in all sinners, because it is in our DNA, because you don't know what they've gone through, Maybe the abuser that we are very quick to judge has only ever known abuse. They've never been shown love. Maybe the addict didn't have the example of love that you had growing up. In fact, maybe the the people that they knew that they were close to were addicts as well. Maybe the pregnant teen was never taught what true love looked like. And we could go on and on and on. And so what's the point? I am so guilty of this. I have been so guilty of this. You, you look at someone's life. I did a, a test that was about spiritual gifts, and it would like rank like you're this percentage of this and this percentage of this. I think I've shared this before, but I was like 11% at showing mercy. That's really low. It's really bad. And this is, this is exactly what I'm talking about here. Be gracious. Because you don't know what that person has gone through to bring them there. And what we're so quick to do is assume that we would never do that. How could they possibly uh, love drugs more than their own kids? Yeah, it's, it's terrible. It's awful. It's, it's sinful. 
And, and chances are, that's all that they've ever seen in their life. That they've never been... I mean, we are so fortunate. We come here like multiple times a week and we hear God's word open and preach. We have people all around us in this church that love God, that want to encourage you to walk with him. We are so blessed. And most of the world knows nothing of what we know. And yet we're so quick to judge. So be gracious. They're sinners and you're a sinner. And yes, they've made some really bad choices, some really sinful choices, but be gracious toward them. doesn't mean that it's right and that, they're, that it's okay and that, that God's going to forget it all, but it's not your job to be that ultimate judge. Your job is to show mercy. We often judge books by their cover, but usually there is more to the story. I hope that, that as we look at James chapter 4, as we look at these verses tonight, they serve just as a helpful reminder for you. God is not saving sinners so that we can be the judge of other sinners. The church is not meant to be a breeding ground of slander. And it easily becomes that. And so the reminder for us is that God is the judge. He will judge all things. And so we don't need to. Now, it's important for us to remember that there is a time to judge. There is a time to to see someone's fruit and go to them in love. Go to them in love. But it's not the idea that, hey, this person is terrible, so I'm going to speak evil about them to, to everyone else to bring them down. That's not helpful. That's not loving. Any judgment calls that we do make, we must make humbly, with grace, in love, and with a desire to help the sinner or to warn the unwitting believer of a potential threat. And if we can do these things, if we can embrace this idea of, of not just setting ourselves up as the king and the judge, but saying, I am a, a sinner saved by God's grace. And here, my goal in this life is to find ways to help other sinners walk closer to God, as they help me too. Don't tear each other down. Let's be a church that seeks to build each other up. We've said this so many times. We are created for community. God made us this way. He put us in a church for a reason because you don't don't thrive by yourself. And Sometimes that means allowing other people to knock off the rough edges. But if we become a church that starts picking out and, and mentioning other sins all the time, we rip ourselves apart so quickly. When we become a church that builds one another up and encourages each other, and only when necessary we talk to one another directly, we do it biblically, we do it Matthew 18 style, when we become a church that does that and speaks the truth in love, and that is a, that's an incredible thing. That's a powerful thing, and, and God will work greatly through a church like that. And so let's be that kind of church.